Galatians 6, 11-18 See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. My daughter Ava is in the eighth grade, and she just recently traveled with her school to Washington, D.C. And on the day she was coming back, she called her mom, and they were talking on the phone, Ava from the bus. And the first thing she said was, what's for dinner? It wasn't, uh, hey, we saw this cool thing today, or thanks for the trip, or, you know, it was, what's for dinner? And Amy said, uh, well, she started to answer, and Ava said, well, it doesn't, doesn't even matter, it doesn't even matter. I'm just ready to eat real food again. Which is a funny thing to say because uh, my, my hope is that when my daughter was away for three days, they were feeding her real food. There was not plastic food being eaten or they were drawing pictures of food and pretending they were eating real food. But even when she says that, you know what she means, right? I know what she means. She means there's a difference between the food you eat when you're traveling and real food. There's a difference between the food you settle for on the road and a home-cooked meal made by your mom who loves you. There's a difference between fake food and real food. There's also a difference between fake religion and real religion. Or to be more specific, there's a difference between fake Christianity and real Christianity. And here, at the end of the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is bringing his entire letter, his entire argument to a conclusion when he's summarizing in the final few verses what he's been trying to say. It is this exact distinction between fake Christianity and real Christianity that he's driving home at the end. So if you have your Bible, would you open it to Galatians chapter 6? Take out your phone, your tablet, get to Galatians 6. Uh, If you're new here, you didn't bring a Bible, we do make them available to you here in the West service and the pew in front of you or over in the East service in the back of the room. And if you use one of our Bibles that we provide, today's reading is on page 916. Uh, And as you're getting there, let me hold out to you an outline that I'm gonna use to guide our time together. Three points looking at Paul's conclusion and they go like this. I wanna show you the difference between fake Christianity and real Christianity, why the difference matters to you and why it matters to those around you. Okay, the difference between fake Christianity and real Christianity, why the difference matters to you, and why it matters to those around you. All right, let's start with the first one, the difference between fake Christianity and real Christianity. I I would guess that for some of you, even to hear me say that makes you a little uncomfortable because it is one of our chief virtues as a culture that faith is something you just don't question. You never weigh in on the authenticity or veracity of someone else's faith. To do that is incredibly judgmental and incredibly rude and obtuse and offensive. 
Uh, but here's the thing. I, I'm not seeking to line everyone up this morning and give you a thumbs up or thumbs down on what I think about your faith. Okay, that, that's not the goal. Uh, I don't know you well enough to even try that. You don't know me well enough to even try that. What we're talking about is broad groups, fake Christianity and real Christianity. And even then, I know it makes us uncomfortable, but here's the thing. That's what most of the New Testament is about. Most of the New Testament is actually written to churches to help them sort through what is real, authentic, true Christianity and what ultimately isn't. And so it's not a question or a distinction or a division we're bringing to the Bible. It's actually one the Bible's bringing to us. Actually one the writer of Galatians is put before us now for 10 weeks and then finally here at the end. Just in even looking at the passage, you'll notice he's drawing a pretty sharp distinction, a pretty sharp contrast between what a certain group taught and what he taught. And of course, we've talked about that the context of the book of Galatians is that the Apostle Paul, the author of Galatians, has visited Galatia. He has preached about Jesus. Churches have started as people have become believers. But then Paul has moved on because that's what he would do. He would go to a new city and preach and plant churches. But in his absence, a group has come in and they're teaching something Different, And so Paul is writing this letter in response to them, and he is saying, hey, what they're telling you isn't actually Christianity. And the reason why, he says, and this is what I want you to see, is that fake Christianity, false Christianity, is always about human performance. It is always about human performance. Look what he says here in the passage in Galatians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, the, the group that had come in in Paul's absence was a group of Jewish religious teachers who were telling people, hey, it's good that you believe in Jesus, the Son of God, that he came and lived and died and resurrected. That's great. But if you really want a relationship with God, you have to add to that. You can't just believe in Jesus. You need to also become Jewish. You need to be, if you're a man, you need to be circumcised. And what's happening is they're driving this push to circumcision, Paul says, because what they're occupied with is human performance. Their message is you must do something in order for God to love you. And the motives for their message, he says, is that when you do something, it will make me feel like I'm doing something. So they're going to pastor's conferences and bragging about circumcisions are up by 100% which I have to say would be the weirdest pastor's conference ever and not one I'm interested in going to, right? But the whole push of this is that, hey, if you want God to love you, you must do this. And listen, I just want to be super clear about this because every single person in this room has had an experience with this version of Christianity, whether you realize it or not. And the message is, if you want God to love you, you must earn it. You have to dress a certain way, act a certain way, vote a certain way, be a certain way. Don't do this. You must do this, etc., etc., etc. It's always driven by human performance. And behind it are men and women leading those movements who are driven by their 
own performance. That's how we end up with celebrity pastors. That's how we end up with pastors flying in private planes that church members are paying for. The way we get there is that a pastor or pastors wake up saying, hey, if, I, if God's really going to love me, I must earn it. I must achieve it. I must do something. And they rally people. If God's going to love you, you must do something. And everybody's performing and the benefits are trickling up. False Christianity is always inescapably about human performance. The message is, if you want God to love you, here's what you have to do. Here's who you have to be. Here's what you have to wear. Here's what you have to eat. Here's how you have to dress. Here's how you have to act. Or here's what you can't do. But Paul says that's actually the opposite of his message. It's the opposite of true Christianity. In fact, he, he summarizes true Christianity beautifully in verses 14 and 15. Look what he says. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Paul says, here's my message. There's actually nothing about me that will earn or perform or achieve anything. He says, I'm not proud of anything about myself. There is nothing about my life, about my achievements, about my performance that I am hoping in. Instead, he says, this is the core of my hope. This is my only hope, that Jesus Christ lived in my place a life I could not live died on the cross under the anger and wrath and judgment of God that was meant for me, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, is seated at God's right hand, and it is he who will speak for me on the day of judgment. You see, false Christianity is about human performance, but true Christianity is about the performance of Jesus Christ. It's about the performance of God himself, what God has done for us. False Christianity puts an emphasis on what you must do and who you must be. True Christianity invites you to rest in what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do on your behalf. If you consider for just a moment that the pain that you've experienced at the hands of the church, at the hands of religious family members, at the hands of so-called Christianity is always coming from that place of human performance, their desire to achieve and be, forcing you to desire to achieve and be. And I want you to know that's not new, that's not unique. It has been happening since the church has been around. It's horrific. It's ugly, it's awful, it's evil, but it's not new. The writer of this letter 2,000 years ago was aiming at the very same thing. You cannot earn God's love, and anyone who tells you that you can, or you must, or you should, is giving you false Christianity. Now you might think, well, real, false, why does it matter? It's a great question. It's actually my last two points, but let's start with this. Here's why the difference matters to you. This is my second point. Here's why the difference matters to you. And I don't want to bury the lead here, so let me just say this. False Christianity will not save you. False Christianity will not lead to heaven. It does not lead to a relationship with God. It does not lead to inclusion in what God is building 
in the new heavens and new earth. You will not be part of what God is doing if you believe you earn your salvation. Now, Paul says that. He says it this way in this passage when he says in verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, and this rule is what he's just said, that you boast in nothing but Jesus, that there's nothing we're earning or achieving. He says, as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You see, Paul is saying that the true people of God are the people who trust in Jesus only. He's saying that those who seek to earn, those who seek to achieve, even by aligning themselves ethnically with the historic people of God, even by doing that, those who seek to achieve and earn and unlock God's favor in the end will be excluded. It is only those who trust solely in Jesus who will be saved. If I could quote the old hymn, it's only those who sing, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, foul I to the fountain fly. If you know it, finish it with me. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Paul says, no, that's what it means to be a Christian. And anything outside of that will not produce an actual relationship with God, actual salvation before God's judgment. Now you might say, well, that's Paul. But Paul's just echoing the words of Jesus here, who in Matthew chapter 7 said that on the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, but I, they won't know me. In fact, Jesus says this, they will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out? Do you see what they jumped to? Performance. Did it? Wait, wait, but God, wait. Did we not wear our Sunday best? God, did we not go to service? God, did we not give? Did we not serve? God, did we not, did we not do devotion? God, did we not do, did, did we not teach our kids the right thing? Didn't we do the right way? God, didn't we vote the right way? Didn't we spend our money the right way? God, didn't we? And Jesus will say, I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You see, you can't earn your way into relationship with God. So the entire book of Galatians is about. That's why it's appropriate now here at the back end that we stop and we say, if we take anything from this book, it must be this. You cannot earn a relationship with God. You cannot achieve or unlock your salvation. The only road to heaven is the road of faith in Jesus Christ, that he lived in our place and died in our place and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at God's right hand. And on the day of judgment, our hope is this, that when someone must speak on our behalf, he will. What is your hope? Because my fear is that in any evangelical church in America, if I took a straw poll and I said, hey, if you died right now, why would you go to heaven? That I would get some form of, well, I'm a good person. Well, I've tried to live, do what's right. Well, I, I, I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. But friends, I'm just telling you, please hear me on this. There's not a single citizen of heaven that if we stopped them on the street in heaven and said, how did you get here, would give us that answer. There's not a single citizen of heaven who would give any answer that would start with I. But rather, we could stop anyone from the small to the tall, from the young to the old, from the famous to the unknown. And they would say, I'm here because of Jesus Christ. 
that he lived in my place and died in my place and rose from the dead. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot achieve your place in heaven. And anyone who tells you that you can is lying. And I don't mean they're nefarious or evil. I just mean that they're lying to you because they're believing a lie themselves. And I just want to challenge you on this, not just that you, you will be missing out on salvation. I mean, that, that, that's the biggest thing I could say. But also it's why so many people come to church and they feel so distant from God because if you believe you have to earn your place with God, you'll never feel close to him. Good days will never be good enough. Bad days will be a reason to hide from him. I was, just, I was thinking about this just this morning. You know, I, when I first met my wife, Amy, who I love dearly, I tried to impress her every chance that I got. Even when, even when she didn't know, I was checking if she was looking. Okay? But last, let me tell you what we did last night. Last night, we were up in our room, and Amy was watching a movie. She had twisted her ankle that day, so her ankle was elevated on pillows with an ice pack on it. And I was laying next to her on the bed on my stomach on my computer pretending not to watch her movie. And when she would get done with the ice pack on her ankle, I would put it on my back because my back was hurting. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful. You know why? Because I know Amy loves me. I don't have to try to earn it. Which means I can, go, I can hang out with her even when I'm in sweatpants and a t-shirt with a back that hurts. And I'm not even old enough, I don't think, for that. But here I am. Closeness to God can only be built on the idea that your human performance isn't what achieves his affection. Or you'll never go to him. You'll, there'll always be more to do. There's always be, there'll always be reasons why you can't go to him. Listen, if you keep wondering why you're showing up here week after week and you feel so distant and so God feels like God is so cold to you, the reason for that is because you have bought into this idea that on good days, God might love you and on bad days, he might not. But listen, I'm telling you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that because Jesus lived in your place and died in your place and rose from the dead because of that, he couldn't love you more on good days. He couldn't love you less on bad days. He loves you because of Jesus. And it is so easy to miss this. My wife and I are trying to raise our children to understand the message of Jesus. We try to infuse it in everything that we do, even in discipline, on our best days. Okay? On our best days. And so that means even when our kids mess up, we'll talk to them about sin and, and judgment and salvation and Jesus. And, and, and that's easier for some kids than others. Like my son Graham is such a good kid. He almost never gets in trouble. So I never get to talk to him about this stuff. Well, one night I was putting him to bed when he was four or five years old and I caught him trying to hide a toy under his pillow, which has never happened with Graham. So I actually got kind of excited. But <laughs> oh, this is my chance to, to preach to him a little bit. And so I said, Graham, what are you doing? He just fell apart. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's a, you know, he's got that people pleaser gene, you know? So he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. You know, I'll throw the toy away if you want, Dad. And I said, buddy, Listen, you did that because you're a sinner. You know, you're hiding things from dad. You, you think you can hide things from God? You're, you're a sinner. I said, Graham, are you perfect or are you a sinner? And he took his head off his pillow. He looked at me and he goes, little bit of both. <laughs> Even in my house. But listen, that's a funny story about a five-year-old. It's not so funny about adults who are closer every day to death. 
You're not a little bit of both. I'm not a little bit of both. If we have to earn it, we'll never get it. But I'm just telling you that the message of Galatians, the message of the New Testament, the message of the Bible, the message of Jesus is that he, he has earned it for you. That's why the difference matters. It matters to you. But let me show you finally my third point, why it matters to those around you. Why it matters to those around you. You know, Paul, Paul says in, in Galatians chapter 6 that what's happening is that because these teachers believe they have to earn God's love and because they believe other people have to as well, they're actually forcing men, Gentile, non-Jewish men who are becoming Christians to be circumcised. And, and here's something I think Paul is saying. False Christianity always asks people to bear the marks of its faith. False Christianity, false teachers are always going to ask you to bear the weight of proving them and their love for God. Listen, I've been in churches. I'll just give you an example. I grew up in the church. I'm very happy that I grew up in the church. I know a lot of people, that's not their story. I don't want to invalidate your story, but I'm, I'm glad I grew up in the church. But, but I grew up in, in traditional churches. I'm thankful for that. All those old hymns, that's what I sing to my kids when I put them to bed at night. Those are the songs that are buried in my heart. I love that. But I grew up in churches where the message was, God loves you so much, his own son came to earth and died for you. He shed his blood for you. But you're not welcome here if you spill coffee on a carpet. Now help me understand that. God loves you so much, he'd shed his own blood. But you shed any coffee, you're out of here. But you see, the message of that church is we need you to help us prove our love for God. We need to create a holy atmosphere, a place where God knows that he's honored, a place where God knows that he's loved, a place where God sees how seriously we take him. Listen, that's insecurity. By the way, that's not just there in the traditional church. It's there in the younger generation. It grieves me how so many young Christians are, are apologizing for what the Bible says about sex or, or gender as though God doesn't love us, as though God doesn't know what's good, as though God isn't infinitely wise. And they're apologizing. Why? Because out of their insecurity, they're saying to people, but, but look, but look, but look, look how open-minded I am. Look how tolerant I am. Look how loving I am in the hopes that people will love them and God will love them. That's insecurity. And it comes from a false gospel of performance. Listen, I'm raising teenagers. It's, it's a crazy ride, I'm telling you. You, you. Some of you tried to warn me, and I just thought I was better than it, you know? I'm not. Well, I see one of my kids at school, and I say, hey. And, and then they get home, they're like, Dad, that was so embarrassing. <laughs> so the next day I see them at school, I just walk right by. I don't even acknowledge them. Then the next day, they get to get home at dinner. Same kid will say, Dad, that was so rude. I'll go, what do you want from me? Right? And the truth is they don't know. Right? They don't know. Teenagers are hard time. To be. It's hard to be a teenager. They're so insecure. They don't know what they want from me. Listen, I cannot think of a better metaphor for evangelicalism in America than that. We got churches telling us one thing. We got churches telling us another. Be more open-minded. Be less open-minded. Be more tolerant. Be less tolerant. Bring your coffee in. Don't bring your coffee in. Spill on the carpet. Don't spill on the carpet. Listen, all of that's coming from people who aren't sure that God loves them. And they're looking for validation in making you do things. False Christianity says to everyone around us, you bear the marks of my faith. 
But true Christianity, true Christianity says this. I love this in the, in the very last line of the Galatians, right before he gets to the goodbye. So second to last. Verse 17, look at what Paul says. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You see, true Christianity says, I will bear the marks for you. True Christianity says, I know God loves me. I know God accepts me. I know God is looking out for me. So now I am free to care for and look out for you. See, a true gospel church doesn't care how people dress or what they bring into the room to drink or, or, or how they act or how they behave. True, true Christianity says, come, come. We will bear the marks. We will sacrifice. We will shed our preferences. We, we, we will give up our, our cultural peccadilloes in order that you might hear of God's love for you. What can we take on us so that you might hear of God's love for you? And by the way, church, we need to grow in this. Of course we need to grow in this. You know that. I know that. I need to grow in this. But man, when we get this right, it's when we're at our most beautiful. Just this week, we did the Thanksgiving baskets, right? 1,645 Thanksgiving baskets. And we can clap for that. Let's clap for that. <clears throat> Sometimes you get uncomfortable clapping, so I don't clap for myself. You're not. You're clapping for me, and I'm clapping for you. That's how this works. We're clapping that God has led us to be so generous, right? The generosity of God that he has shared with us. But here's the thing. Here's, the, here's what I love about that. When that family gets a basket, they don't know who went to the grocery store to buy it. You ever come on a Monday, you see all the volunteers serving? It, first of all, it's a well-oiled machine. But you got volunteers, you bring your basket in, they go through it and make sure you didn't forget anything because if you forgot something, we'll run to the store and replace it. How cool is that? But when that family gets a basket, they don't know who sorted it. They don't know who put the lid on, carried it to the truck. They don't know who put it on the truck. They may not even know who drove the truck or who put it on their doorstep. And it doesn't matter because every person there, it's beautiful. And you know why it's beautiful? Because every person there is saying, I'm not here to earn. I'm not here to achieve. I'm not here to be known. I got all that in Jesus. I'm here to sacrifice in order that someone else might know the love of God. How ugly would it be if you came on a Monday to volunteer and there was a guy sliding his business card in every basket? Hey, these groceries were purchased by Steve. This box was sorted by Steve. This box was delivered by Steve. You know inherently, instantly, that is ugly. That is toxic. That is awful because it's not about Steve. But if you're wise and if you're paying attention, what you know is that Steve is incredibly insecure. Friends, in our dealings with other people, we are ultimately revealing what we believe about how God feels towards us. And Paul says to the Galatian church, they are asking you for things. They are asking you to sacrifice. They're asking you to suffer. They're asking for you to bear the marks. And Paul says, but for me, for me, he says, oh no, 
I'm bearing them for you. I think that's what he means, by the way, in the very beginning when he says, see how large the letters that I'm writing. I think Paul's losing his eyesight. And he's going, look, if you thought I, was, if you thought I had an arrogance problem, you see these big letters? I can't even see anymore. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. I'm sacrificing for you. Listen, your belief, my belief that God loves us apart from our performance is ultimately the determiner of our salvation, for sure. It is ultimately the determiner of whether we will believe that true intimacy with God is something that can be enjoyed. But it is also the determiner in whether or not we will be a blessing or a curse to those around us. May we be a church that is so certain of God's love for us that we will shed carpet, pews, preferences, that we will sacrifice, we will serve, we will engage, we will invite, we will participate so that others might hear of God's love for them in Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that even for us to be sitting here this morning, is because so many men and women from Paul's day to today have borne the marks of Jesus to get the gospel to us. Thank you for Galatians. Thank you for the message of freedom. We don't earn your love, but it's been earned for us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your love. Thank you that I get to get up here and say such wonderful things about you because you really are that wonderful. God, work these things into our hearts and our minds and our souls. Make us the kind of people who are secure in your affection. Make us the kind of people who are a blessing to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.